I'm Derek Thompson, the host of The Ringer podcast, Plain English. Look, a lot of news these days is kind of nonsense. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm just trying to ask the questions that matter from people who know more than I do about everything I'm curious about. And that's most things. Recession fears, AI hyperbole, psychology, productivity, China, war, streaming, movies, sports, you name it. The world without jargon, the news without bias. Plain English with Derek Thompson. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, I'm Tara Palmieri. I'm Puck's senior political correspondent, and this is Somebody's Gotta Win. The congressional seat held by George Santos has finally been filled. You know, the fabulous from Long Island, the place where F. Scott Fitzgerald based The Great Gatsby, that George Santos. There is finally an election to fill his seat after he was kicked out of Congress. And Democrats took it back by eight points. It was a resounding win, and it's perhaps a predictor of what's to come. Two moderates ran against each other. Tom Swazi, our Democrat, against Mazi Pillup, Republican. And they had a campaign that was based on migration and fears of migration in the suburbs. This is ever since red state governors like Greg Abbott have been shipping migrants up north to cities like New York City. And that's created some fear in the wealthy suburbs. In the last election in 2022, when George Santos became a congressman, there was a lot of fear of crime, and he rode that wave into Congress. So Swazi went on the offense, and he really embraced immigration reform and the border. And at the time, Democrats and Republicans were working together on a border package, on some sort of deal to enhance border security and change the immigration rules. But the Republicans ultimately rejected it after Donald Trump weighed in against it and basically saw it as a winner for Joe Biden ahead of an election year. And I think it was a pretty strong message for Tom Suozzi to go around saying like, hey, the Democrats tried to do something about this issue and Republicans rejected it because of Donald Trump. They just want chaos at the border because it helps them politically. Well, it obviously worked. You know, these two candidates, though, they distanced themselves from the leaders of the party. Mazi Pillup, 
distanced herself from Trump. Of course, Trump tweeted after she lost. If she had only been more MAGA, she would have won. I'm not so sure about that. And Swazi, he distanced himself from Joe Biden. But, you know, this is an interesting race to look at as we head into 2024. Perhaps more moderate Democrats who are willing to go after issues like migration and the border, that they might be able to take some seats back from Republicans. But on a grander scale, this means that Republicans have an even smaller majority. Depending on the day, it could be an advantage of one, two, three seats, three votes. Um, You saw how difficult it was for them to actually impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. That was one of their top priorities, and it took them two times to get the votes. They were only able to impeach him with the help of one vote. So on this episode, I talked to someone who is in the heart of the chaos of this Congress, Congressman Brendan Boyle of Pennsylvania. He's a Democrat from the Philadelphia region. He's been in Congress since 2016. And he's actually very optimistic about the Democrats' chances in 2024 based on these upsets and the specials and how people have been motivated to come out and vote because of the Dobbs issue, abortion, how it's on the ballot. Congressman Boyle also knows Scranton Joe pretty well. So I had to ask him what he thought of the return of Jon Stewart and how he skewered Biden. For me, I'm wondering, was Jon Stewart's monologue even more damaging than special counsel Robert Hur's report, where he called Joe Biden elderly and painfully slow? But first, I'm going to talk to Congressman Boyle about his home state of Pennsylvania and how it might end up being the deciding factor in the 2024 election. Congressman Boyle, I'm so happy you're on the show. Uh, Just last month, you gave me your prediction for 2024 in the election and how it's going to shake out in Pennsylvania, which is obviously a battleground state. How exactly did you say the state is going to go in 2024? Yeah, so first, it's great to be with you, Tara, and a fan of of your work and the pod. Um, Just to preface my prediction, I've pointed out to basically anyone who will listen that the single most important state in the presidential election is Pennsylvania. And I say that because in 2016 and 2020, there were basically six states that decided the election, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, three in the industrial north, three in the Sun Belt. All six uh, narrowly voted for Donald Trump or five of the six voted for uh, Donald Trump in 2016. And then in 2020, they all voted for Joe Biden. Pennsylvania is the biggest. Narrowly. Very, very narrowly. So to give you an example, Pennsylvania. Uh, Donald Trump carried it by uh, half a percentage point in 2016, and then Joe Biden carried it by one point in in 2020. Um, and in fact, there were four statewide uh, elections that same day in 2020. Democrats won two of them, Republicans won two of them, and all four were razor thin ma- margins. So Pennsylvania. Clearly, the last two elections has been the biggest of the six battleground states. And we are again for 2024. I think, you know, really for the year 2000 is when uh, politics changed in America. Before that, most presidential races were blowouts. Uh, From 2000 on, though, they've all been within the margin, with the exception of the one that took place in the Great Recession. They've all been within the margin of error. And I think 2024 will be the same. And getting to my, my prediction, I did predict that Biden would win Pennsylvania uh, very narrowly. Uh, I predict that Senator Casey will also be uh, reelected. But really, I can say right now definitively, 
more money will be spent in Pennsylvania than any other state in the country in this election. Just to tell our listeners, I think you said it was like by 0.47. That was what you told me. Am I right? Am I, I remembering I, this correctly? I, I, I think I, uh, you know, was, I, I appreciate you remembering my prediction exactly right. I think I, <laughs> I was channeling, if anyone, I'm enough of a political geek that I used to watch the McLaughlin uh, report um, way back in the day. And he would always come up with some entirely bizarrely specific prediction like that. Uh, so that, <laughs> yeah. so that, that does sound about, that does sound about right. Okay. So by a half a percentage point, essentially is what you were thinking. And yeah. you still think that's going to be the case. I think that's, look, I, there is no way this is going to be a blowout election. There, we're in such an era of high negative partisanship. The reality is we're increasingly competing for a smaller pool of people who are willing to vote for a candidate of the other party. And I say that with great regret. I, I actually think we were um, more functional as a country in a previous era in which there were more swing voters. That's not the era in which we're living. Um, there just are fewer swing voters today. So what that means is both parties start at a much higher base than, let's say, 1964, when there was a 20-point landslide for Democrats, or 1972, when there was a 20-point landslide for Republicans. Interesting. So how much money does it cost to win by half a percentage point in Pennsylvania? Like how much money do you see being spent? A lot. An, an awful lot. I mean, the uh, the U.S. Senate race will be well over $100 million. That was the case last U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania in 2022. This one will be even more. And that's the one where John Fetterman uh, beat Dr. Oz. Correct. By, by actually a larger margin than was expected. He in the end won by four points. The polling had that as a 50-50 race. A lot of people predicted Oz actually would win it. Let's face it, though, since June 2022 on, uh, and we just saw this in the New York special election, every election that has taken place since that Dobbs decision in June 2022, you've seen Democrats perform a few points better than what the polling was showing. And, and so we did get a lift in Pennsylvania uh, in November 2022. There's no question and that about was it. And that was a really crazy election because you had a candidate who was sick, who had just been, you know, dealing with a stroke, had difficulty speaking, um, you know, was hospitalized, and there was a feeling that the campaign was hiding him. So that's a risky vote to take. And then you've got Dr. Oz, who was just a particularly, I mean, remarkably, actually, weak candidate picked by Donald Trump. Tara, uh, do not do not take any offense to this, but Mehmet Oz was from North Jersey, was oh, still yeah, living know. in New Jersey, even as a candidate uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, literally would record campaign spots that were clearly from his house overlooking the Manhattan skyline because the Fetterman campaign and other Democratic operatives did a good job and looked at previous magazine articles in which Dr. Oz was showing off his beautiful, uh, unbelievably expensive North Jersey estate. And uh, and interestingly, McCormick might actually have the same problem, uh, except for McCormick, it's Greenwich or Stamford, Connecticut. Um, so, the age-old carpetbagger story. You yeah, know? <laughs> you know, it probably doesn't, um, it's probably not as big a knock in this era as it was in a previous era, but it still matters. Uh, and I have to say the Democratic campaign in 2022 did a really good job of using that against Oz. Oz also had other challenges as well. There was also the case that in primary... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was out of time. That, that was I, just... He's like, yeah. 
I mean, really dumb stuff, not knowing, you know, Steelers and not knowing, you know, he was talking about rooting for the Steelers this week and he had a bye week. And I'm an Eagles fan and even knew I knew the Steelers had a bye week. So he just came off as incredibly inauthentic. But there was also the dynamic in which Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, you would think that Donald Trump was on the payroll of the National Democratic Party because oh, in I know. primary he after primary, he chose <laughs> all of the candidates we would want to run against. Um, and so he was, uh, you know, uh, really an in-kind contribution to the Democratic cause last election. I don't even remember what Emmett, um, Emmett Oz's connection to Pennsylvania was. What did he say? Like, I grew up there or he had uh, a house? He, he, he didn't even have that. McCormick actually is born in Pennsylvania and did grow up there. Um, so he'll be able to talk about that. He talked about that in his ads last time when he ran and then lost to Oz in the primary. Um, but Oz didn't even have that connection. I mean, it was a real test in this era of high partisanship. Could you literally just pick a state because there's an opportunity, um, pretend you've moved to it, but you didn't really move to it, uh, and then and then run for office? Oz's wife was from suburban Philadelphia. Uh, ironically, the same school district in my wife, in which my wife used to teach, just right outside Philadelphia. Um, but Oz, so she really, gave him the street cred, you know, whatever. Yeah, he had. I mean, Oz, <laughs> but Oz had never uh, lived in the state, didn't live in the state even as a candidate, even though he's pretending he did so. So uh, there were those unique challenges to him. The reality, though, is back to 2024. I mean, I, I, I think again, it's going to be a competitive hyper-competitive, hyper-expensive campaign with Democrats winning. Um, and then the reality is this, and I think my Republican friends would agree with this as well, there's no plausible math that gets you to 270 without Pennsylvania's 19 electoral votes. Okay, just to, for, just to understand Dave McCormick, by the way, who lost in the primary to Mehmet Oz, mainly because Trump tipped the scales to Oz, because Sean Hannity liked Oz. Of course, it always involved a Fox News personality. But McCormick actually may have beaten Fetterman. He's a very strong candidate, a Marine. He's kind of like hunky, got this like family that's... He just seems just very jocular, clean cut, made a bunch of money, yada, yada, yada. You just... He just presents better as a politician, right? Just to, just to be clear, I will in no way comment on his hunkiness. I will, I will, <laughs> his alleged hunkiness, I will leave that to yeah, others. Yeah. But, um, but there's no question uh, that McCormick is a better candidate than Oz. McCormick was leading Oz by a good five points in the polls until Trump endorsed Oz. And that gave, it didn't give Oz a huge lift. But it was just enough that Oz beat McCormick in the primary by one tenth of one percent. But my um, the question in my mind is: Will McCormick, as this massive hedge fund guy who looks very comfortable in a country club, um, will he be able to win back that uh, well-educated, high-median income suburban Philadelphia Republican who, beginning either in 2016 or 2018? started voting Democratic. There are a ton of those in Chester County, PA, uh, Montgomery County, PA, also some suburbs of Pittsburgh. Will McCormick be able to win them back? Or in this era of Trump so branding the Republican Party, are they just permanently gone, uh, especially now that you have the Dobbs decision on top of it? 
But are they, they're ticket splitters though in Pennsylvania, right? So they might go they, both they have, ways, like vote for Biden, vote for McCormick. Um, that's an open question, but you know, take Chester County, for example, um, suburban Philadelphia. Um, for the is first that time, the county that you represent? No, it's just, it would be about 45 minutes west of me. Again, uh, you know, highest median income in the state, really high uh, education uh, attainment rates there. That's a county that had been Republican from the Civil War until just recent times. Voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, but Pat Toomey did really well there in 2016 as well. But then from 2018 on, it has been voting Democratic and by double digits. And so we've now had three cycles, 18, 20, and 22, since that 2016 election. So at one point, if these voters are just routinely voting Democratic now, not just for president, but for Senate, for their member of Congress, which is a Democrat, for local, now it has a majority Democratic delegation in the state legislature, it might be that those voters are just gone for the Republican Party. We will find out in this election if someone like McCormick is. But are they going to turn out? That's the question. That's a different question. I mean, to be fair, we turnout is an open question all across the board because I will acknowledge we've seen some um, so far polling indications. If the polling's accurate, we've seen some indications that perhaps there's some younger voters and African American and Latino voters who aren't as excited as I want them to be about um, once again turning out in 2024. And there's all sorts of evidence that the Republican side has a problem with turnout. The the low turnout they're getting in these presidential primaries has to be something that's concerning to the RNC. Well, the RNC right now is too busy fighting itself and trying to see, you know, they just took out their own chair. So maybe the RNC is a bad example, but other professional Trump just took out their chair. (laughs) And he's- Swallowed you know, it whole. When he swallowed Demo- the RNC. Yeah, there's no question <laughs> Before about Before even when, being the nominee. When a, when a Democrat, like, it might come off as kind of um, an overly partisan charge when someone like me says it's the Trump party. It isn't, though. From unlike 2016, when he didn't have the control, even when he was the nominee, he has full control of the Republican Party from the very top now all the way down to the grassroots. It is the Trump party. He wants to name his daughter, Lara Trump, and his daughter-in-law, Lara Trump, to the top of the co-chair of the RNC. And then he picked this guy from North Carolina, who's an election denier, to be the co-chair. Um, then he installed, he wants to install his co-campaign um, manager to be the COO. Yeah, and he booted Ronna McDaniel, who's like the ultimate loyalist. I'm not really surprised at all um, by any of this. But, you know... It's interesting. I've got to say, though, yes, it is the Trump party, but he's winning the primaries. And as much as the party doesn't really want him, like Mitch McConnell does not want him. You know what I mean? Even Kevin McCarthy deep down doesn't want him. And the establishment was really behind Ron DeSantis when he first came out of the gate, right? The money went to him. Uh, Mitch McConnell was excited about him. The donors were excited about him. They were like anyone but Trump, right? And they all lost. And it's like, the grassroots chose Trump. So like, what are they supposed to do? You know what I mean? The the re- big Republican donors speak for maybe 7 to 10% of the Republican Party. Whereas- Right, but they 80, go to the RNC. Like, that's their apparatus. 
Yeah, although is it really their apparatus though? With Lyra Trump as a, about to be the, Not the co-chair. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think it is like again from top to bottom, it is the Trump party, and this will be interesting, and it'll be. But he for- grabbed it and he made that happen. Whereas, like, I think the Democratic establishment has sort of like created Biden rather than the grassroots. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm. I'm not sure. I mean, we did have a, a really competitive, vigorous primary in 2020. And in the end, Biden... But he wasn't like the resounding winner. He didn't win New Hampshire. Well, he didn't wait, win Iowa. I mean, he didn't win Iowa and New Hampshire. But then, boy, he really swept on Super Tuesday. And functionally, the race was over once he won South Carolina by 30 points and then won Super Tuesday by such a large margin. So the I, party I, I really mean, came I, behind him. You know, that's, that I, didn't I do happen think that, really on its own. I, I do think that uh, the party is overwhelmingly behind Biden. I also think the reality is that Democrats of every stripe in 2020 were so motivated to stop Donald Trump. Once it becomes clear to more voters that Trump really is going to be the Republican nominee, remember, there are a lot of voters who just aren't paying attention yet and don't actually believe that Donald Trump will really be the Republican nominee. Once we get past Super Tuesday and, and that reality sets in, I do think you'll see a little bit of a change in these numbers so far. Okay. For everyone listening on the show, you all know Trump is the nominee, right? <laughs> if so, you're you listening, know, I've actually, yes, yeah. Yeah, I've if been you're telling you this podcast, since uh, September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have been proven so, 100% right. And yeah, let's face it. I mean, those of us who listen to your podcast uh, loyally, who are true political junkies, um, love somebody's got to win. We're a very, very small slice of the population. Most people aren't political junkies. Most people aren't checked in and paying attention to this yet. When they do, and they find out that Trump is really going to be the Republican nominee, I, I do think it will come as, as quite a surprise to uh, uh, quite a number of people. Okay, fair enough. But in the meantime, there have been a ton of polls, NBC, ABC, Harvard, Marist, all the top polls. Um, And I know everyone likes to hate on polling, but it's just like these polls are not even in the margin of error. And they show Trump beating Biden in these swing states that you talk about that matter. And we know this is going to come down to the Electoral College. Trump can't win the popular vote. He didn't in 2016. He didn't in 2020. And he probably won't in 2024. So, I mean, there has to be real concern that Trump is beating Biden in these swing states right now. Yeah. So first, I, I disagree a little bit with your premise. I mean, most of the high quality polls I've seen, I'm seeing show both candidates in basically the low 40s with a lot of undecided voters or voters who are considering some of the other third party candidates. So I think right now that that's basically where the race stands. The two things when it comes to polling I'm looking at uh, are one. Both times Trump has been on the ballot, the polling has understated Trump voters and understated these people who don't typically turn out. And they have turned out in two elections for him, 2016 and 2020. Um, that is something that that concerns me and that I'm paying attention to. But the second polling miss is in the exact opposite direction. And that is ever since June of 2022 and that Dobbs decision Every single congressional special election that has happened, Democrats have overperformed the polling and won. So I think there's also an error on the other side where pollsters are missing an increase in Democratic turnout um, because how because else of Dobbs. Do, 
I, that was the moment it changed. I mean, literally, you think the that first they're not special, polling women properly. Is that what it I is? I do wonder if younger uh, voters and particularly younger female voters who are somehow, you know, not habitual voters or not making it into these likely voter screens, then just end up turning out on on Election Day. Because whether it was Mary Poltola in Alaska, Pat Ryan in upstate New York, the first two congressional specials that happened after the Dobbs decision through to November 2022, when, you know, some predicted a red wave on average, the party in power loses 23 seats. Instead, it was in the single digits and Republicans lost, whether it was governorships or Senate, uh, they actually fell back in the Senate where they were supposed to pick it up. And then, of course, the elections that have happened even since then, Democrats have continued to outperform the polling and outperform expectations. So 2024, to be totally candid, is a battle between these two dynamics when it comes to the polls, one of which each favors um, either party. Uh, here's my thinking, though. Trump wasn't on the ballot for these um, these votes. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, they were specials. They were, you know, midterms. He was not on the ballot. That's a totally different type of voter that comes out. I don't think Republicans, I don't think his voters are motivated unless he's on the ballot. So, I mean, that was my first And they're point, impossible that, that to pull. Yeah. There's, right. That 2016 and 2020, why the Trump support was understated by a couple points was because of those people he brings out who then don't come out when he isn't on the ballot. But Republicans still have no answer for the second point that I made, and that is their abortion position is a remarkable loser in every single battleground state, including Pennsylvania. And I will, be making, I will be making the argument, not with any exaggeration or hyperbole, if Trump wins, let's face it, Republicans have held the House and that battleground map really favors them in the Senate. I will say this right now, if Trump wins, there's the Republican trifecta. We will have a national abortion ban. The pressure to get rid of the filibuster, if Republicans have full control, will be uh, will be intense and will be great between the legislation they can pass as well as the things they can do executively. We will either by law or de facto have a national abortion ban if Trump wins. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. 
atlassian.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. I agree with you, but I don't think the Republicans are going to win the House back. I think that they- I'm happy to, agree with, I'm happy to agree with you. Uh, no, no, I, I just I, think yeah. it's such a mess. They've been so terrible at leading. Um, I think that they may win the Senate, although that crazy Carrie Lake now that she's been supported by the National Republicans out, um, Committee in Arizona, she's another Trump candidate. I mean, it really depends on how much Trump um, puts his finger on the scale in the Senate races. Yes, the Republicans are poised to take the Senate back, uh, just like they were the last time, <laughs> but they didn't. Um, you know, this uh, look, is, this I, is like I am, tales I'm in no all way, this time. I'm in no way conceding the Senate, let me be clear. But, but I also recognize that, unfortunately, this cycle, it's a tough map for Democrats. We have, you know, we have to defend um, West Virginia, which with Joe Manchin not running will be um, a very steep climb. We also have to defend red states, uh, red state Democratic senators in Ohio and Montana. Fortunately, we have two popular great incumbents in Sherrod Brown and John Tester. But man, for a Democrat to win statewide in this era in both those states, that's a challenge. We lose West Virginia. We need to hold both of them. And we need to hold every single battleground state uh, Senate Democrat that's up. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, right. uh, well, Arizona, then you, well, you're Nevada. In luck, with Montana, because Trump just basically got, or no, was the Speaker of the House, Johnson, who got behind Rosendale, uh, Matt he, Rosendale. He, got, like this he got right behind wing him. He got behind him. Then he rescinded it. And now he's just sending him money. I actually think we're, I think Rosendale has a great chance to win that primary. And this could be a redux of 2022. In yeah, which in some of these it. Republican primaries, they botch it. In the end, if, if we're That's able why I to think hold, it could be some split ticking, ticketing. I think it might. Oh, you know? just to be clear, I am being realistic and recognizing the challenge we have of that map. But I absolutely believe that we Democrats can can hold the Senate and are competitive. I just you know recognize the the challenge of the tilted playing field just based on the just based on the luck of which Senate seats are up. And then as far as the House, I'm extremely bullish on Democratic challenge uh, chances. I mean, the fact that New York State alone has enough seat, Republican-held seats in Democratic territory that we could win to flip the House. Then you add in California, Arizona, some other areas where there are Republicans defending seats in areas that Biden won. And the reality is, if you're one of those so-called moderate Republican members of the House from New York or California, what exactly can you point to this term that you achieved. It is by the numbers, the most dysfunctional, least productive Congress going back 150 years. So I, I mean, I it's have, been a total yeah. disaster. You total. just need to sit on your hands as Democrats, essentially, and let them do the job. <laughs> but I will say um, last night was a good night for you um, in Long Island. Uh, it was George Santos's seat and will forever be called George, George Santos's seat, no matter whoever takes it from this point forward, thanks to his infamy. Yeah. So Tom Swazi, who held the seat before George Santos, when the sw seat swung to Biden the first time, and then it went to George Santos, a Republican in the midterms, 
it swung back to the Democrats. And, you know, this is this is a big win because he won by eight points. It was pretty decisive. He's a moderate Democrat who was up against a moderate Republican. And they kind of had the same message. They sounded the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, anti-immigration. Like Swazi really leaned into the border issues in a way Democrats really haven't felt comfortable doing. And maybe it's because he comes from, you know, it's a wealthy enclave and they're terrified of the migration in New York. You know, Southern governors like Greg Abbott of Texas have been shipping migrants up to cities like yours and New York and Chicago. And it's created some chaos and it's freaked out the suburbs who get the news from New York City. And they're like, oh, no, they're coming to our, you know, jewel box cities or jewel box um, suburbs. And it's created real fears. So that was seen as an advantage for Republicans, but he was somehow able to flip the switch on that. But in the last election, the midterms, when George Santos was elected, it was all about crime. Same sort of reason, right? The crime from New York City was seeping into the suburbs. I I don't know. What can Democrats really learn from Tom Suozzi? Well, I think there are a few things. First, um, I am ecstatic after that win. Here we see yet another congressional special election in which Democrats vastly outperformed the polling. I mean, every poll I saw showed it as either a one, two, or three-point race, and Swazi ends up winning by eight. And consider that last election, the Republican candidate, of course, George Santos, won by seven points. Hochul lost this district by double digits. So that is a massive swing to win a, a seat like this. It also tells me, you know, there are areas, and I know Tom, I'm friends with him. We both served in the Ways and Means Committee together. Um, excited to have him back. Tom and I have talked about the similarities between his district and parts right around me in suburban Philadelphia. So actually, I think there's a lot of about this you can extrapolate to other swing suburbs. Um, the one the one issue I would take when you said they're both anti-immigration, there's a big difference, right? Okay. Tom Swazi came out in favor of the grand compromise that got 70 votes in the Senate. He said he was willing to vote for this compromise that's supported by Democrats, whether liberal or moderate, moderate Republicans, and even conservative Republicans like James Lankford and Mitch McConnell. Mazzy uh, Pillip, the Republican candidate, said no. So she sided with the MAGA position and with Donald Trump. So that really flipped the switch, right? Now, Swazi was able to say, and Democrats were able to say, so you think we want it's the, the bill solution. that got... You think, think that, that the fact that the Republicans tanked the border bill, that actually helps Swazi? I, I do. And actually, uh, today around the House, I've spoken to at least one House Republican who thinks the same thing. Interesting. Again, let sit on your hands and let them run the roost. And this is what happens. You know, it it's is, crazy. I, I if you had told me, well, I guess that very first day I mean, of session was, they was sort of foreshadowing. The DHS secretary based on a resolution proposed by Marjorie Taylor Greene. And and that is literally one of the few pieces of legislation that has actually, that passed, actually passed the House of Representatives <laughs> in the last vote. 14 months, and that was by one vote. It's nutters. I don't know how you go to work in the morning. How do you do I, it? <laughs> <laughs> I work. I work in a very interesting place. Let's just say. Um, let me let me put it that way. Are uh, you worried about being elbowed, punches? You know, anything like that? You know, no one has uh, elbowed me in the kidney yet. Um, I, I have to say, the Democratic side is a lot more boring than my Republican friends. We all 
really well, by and large get when along. you have power uh, then you see the fractures in the party yeah but wait a minute when the de- last term with the same exact majority we literally passed the most far-reaching legislation since lyndon johnson was president so when yeah people, that's because you tamed yeah. aoc <laughs> we we had a very good and effective speaker but there is a, i have to say i let me defend um the most progressive members of my caucus there's a big squad. difference between yeah. the squad and the Freedom Caucus on the other side. In the end of the day, you pick the most progressive member on the House Democratic side. They actually want to get things done. They want to get legislation passed. They might have goals that are, you know, a few degrees uh, uh, or a few notches greater um, than well, some others. Well, actually, now they don't want to pass the Ukraine aid bill. That's the latest. But, but ultimately, philosophically, though, Tara, when you're talking about what government should do, actually, they tend to want government to do even more. So they don't, in the end, want to be obstructive. I mean, think of how much of Biden's agenda became law. You had the Progressive Caucus, including the CPC chair, that ended up being one of his biggest allies. And a lot of times the Democrats who were actually pausing things, you know, were Manchin and Cinema well, uh, in the Senate. Biden gave, yeah, exactly. Biden gave the pre- progressives what they wanted. He gave them far sweeping, massive legislation, the kind of things they could only dream of, right? So well, everybody I, it, was happy. It is an agenda that I talked a lot about in my district in 2022. I continue to talk about now that the um, the specific drugs for this is just one of many examples. The specific drugs had been the the labels have now come out in terms of the ones that will be uh, impacted and see their costs come down. That's something we did a major um, communication on to our district. It was I-95 in my district, Northeast Philadelphia that collapsed because of that fire last summer, I was able to point to the infrastructure bill that I worked on um, as having the resources available where we wouldn't have Have they to worry started about though? That. Like that's the whole thing. These are massive sweeping bills, right? Build back better infrastructure. But like have the people felt it yet? Because all of the polling shows that there's inflation is top of mind, immigration, you know, there's a lot of there's still a lot of, I guess unhappiness with the current administration considering these massive bills and everyone's like no no it's great we did all this stuff but for some reason people just aren't believing it so they're um, not buying the economic indicators there's no question that that public opinion always is a lagging indicator when it comes to the economy so in other words you don't start to see there's basically a six to 12 month lag between people feeling it um once you start seeing progress and kind of the economic numbers but I also, I and I don't know, you might disagree with me on this. Others might disagree. It's not really a political point. I just tend to think ever since COVID, you know, it was such a rough time for people. There isn't a family that I personally know that wasn't impacted in some major way, that didn't have either a family member with a mental health issue or substance abuse or some, just something heavy in their lives, not to mention, oh, by the way, you know, more than a million Americans died twice the death toll in World War II or the Civil War or right, any it was other terrifying. previous yeah. calamity. It's awful for people. And yeah, you know, my wife and I have a, a small child who we were educating at home while I'm on Zooms about legislation. And my wife is teaching uh, second graders on her Zoom from her dining room. And we were all trying to keep it together. So I, I tend to think as a society, we all still have kind of a an overhang from the difficulties of COVID. 
Okay. So you think it's kind of like a PTSD. And so they're, people aren't willing to give uh, Biden a fair shot for how much it's how much we've recovered. I'll say then. that there there is evidence throughout Western world that there is a great deal of discontent ever since the COVID period. And I, it would be natural when you think of everything that we went through, it would be natural if people still aren't kind of in the same mood they were maybe in the late 1990s, the last time we had jobs numbers this good. Okay, so you know Scranton Joe well, right? Um, you've been a big sur- surrogate for him um, since you jo- became a... Con- I guess you were a congressman in 2016, maybe even before then were you a surrogate, yeah. Um, so you've known him for a while, almost 10 years now, maybe more. Um, I've actually known him back to when I... Because where he lives, you know, Wilmington, Delaware, is really in the metro Philadelphia area. And for a long time, Pennsylvania had two Republican senators. So the joke, like in the 90s and the aughts, was that uh, Joe Biden was the Democratic senator from Pennsylvania. (laughs) And he would show up at a lot of Philadelphia events, party events and otherwise. So He was getting ready for his his presidential (laughs) run. Come on now. It it wasn't Laying the groundwork. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, he he has personally joked to me that he lives closer to the Phillies and Eagles stadiums than I do uh, as I live up in the in the far northeast uh, of the city. Um, so he is a Philly area guy and, and that matters. And yeah, as um, as is often talked about in the press, he's he's in my district and, and in uh, the Philadelphia area often. And so as a result, you know, 20, 25 times I've been with him and in close conversation over the last several years. Okay. So everybody's talked about the Her Report, right? Which I'll get to with you. But what did you think of Jon Stewart's comeback? It's brutal. Well, first... I thought it was brutal. I have to say, since Jon Stewart had one of the... uh, You know, he was really one of the most important voices in the whole George W. Bush Iraq War period and brought a lot of news to uh, to people who weren't paying attention to CNN or Fox News and, and MSNBC, so it is nice to have to have John Stewart's uh, voice back. And yes, I I did see the funny uh, monologue. I'll say this about look, Biden is old and Trump is old. Trump is also crazy, and under ninety one indictments, um, I I can say, honest to God, strap me up to a lie detector test. As someone who has been around Biden at least 20, 25 times over the last couple of years, I have no reservations whatsoever about his mental capacity or whether or not he's in charge. If you're in a meeting with him, there is no question that Joe Biden is sharp. He knows what he's talking about. He has a lot of experience and he's in charge. I think it's more a problem of optics that, you know, we're not used to seeing someone that age in this sort of position. And the reality is, Either but I mean, Trump, he, but when Donald he went Trump out or, there and defended himself, uh, like the problem is, sure, this this her report comes out. It's terrible for him. You know, the way he was described, elderly man with bad memory, yada, 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 painfully slow, all the kind of words that the team just wants nothing to do with. Um, when he comes out and does his press conference, he sort of reaffirms all of the fears that Americans had. Like, it was not a strong reaction. It was not strong rebuttal. He didn't seem focused. He didn't seem... Um, he made a lot of mistakes. I don't... It just... You didn't walk away from that being like, oh, yeah, this guy's on it. 
So, well, I mean, I the, the reality of the 2024 election is this, that e- even if third party candidates potentially play a role of spoiler, it's something I'm very concerned about because I've seen it happen twice in the last 24 years. Um, the reality is either. Wait, who's Biden, the, wait, who would play the role of spoiler? I'm sorry. I just want to. Oh, I said twice in the last 24 years. I've seen a minor party candidate play the role of spoiler. Ralph Nader did it to Al Gore in 2000 and Jill Stein did it in 2016 to Hillary Clinton. In Pennsylvania, right? You in think Pennsylvania, so, at least. So in 2016, I mean, here are the numbers. I mentioned how Donald Trump won by a half a percent um, in 2016. It was 44,000 votes in Pennsylvania. Jill Stein got more than 44,000 votes. So I, I, I can say, and she got more votes. She's back Michigan. on the ballot, Green Party. So and Jill Stein made the difference not only in Pennsylvania West. but Michigan and Wisconsin. So I, I, I am concerned about the potential chicanery that having these third party and fourth party and fifth party candidates um, and their potential impact to help Trump, because I I don't see any scenario in which Trump could possibly get more than forty seven percent of the vote. He really needs those independent and third party candidates. But that said. None of them are going to win. I mean, the winner, if 2024 in November is either going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And what that means is the winner of this election will be the oldest president elected in American history. So that is an issue that that's a challenge for both campaigns. And I have to say, Donald Trump, the last few weeks with some of the things he's saying, I mean, that Nikki Haley gaffe, a gaffe is just one thing. He kept repeatedly saying that Nikki Haley was responsible for January 6th. I have noticed a real decline in Donald Trump today versus four years ago and eight years ago. Totally. But when Biden ran four years ago, he was Trump's age. And everyone was, it wasn't the, the top story. You know what I mean? It wasn't like every oh, other story was Biden's age. It was a factor. Oh, I, I, I remember it was a factor. It was a factor, but it wasn't like this. You know what I mean? Like there's, this is now the story. No matter I mean, inflation, border, et cetera. It's age. 86% of Americans tell ABC News in a poll that they think he's not. They, they don't want him to run again um, because of his age. So, and it's like, it feels like they're saying, oh, put him out in front of the cameras. But I don't think that that's making a better case. I mean, the, the reason I point out Jon Stewart, fine, Robert Hur, everyone, that may be a, a news cycle or two. That may be a ton of political ads, which I think they'll cut based on that. It is a legal document. People will say he's MAGA. I don't know if I buy that because um, he's also probably said he'll most likely prosecute Donald Trump for the same crimes, but mainly because, uh, you know, he's not cooperating um, and actually try to obfuscate the documents. It's insane. But I don't know. I think the thing about Jon Stewart, he sort of like pierced the bubble and said, like, it's OK for people to talk about what they're seeing but not to feel like they're being gaslit into feeling like, oh, this guy's old. Oh my God, everyone's telling me he's so sharp. That's not what I'm seeing. Is there something wrong with me? Um, he sort of was able to say, this is kind of ridiculous. Like he's not in good shape. And just because he is the president, we don't need to be quiet about it. We don't need to like not bring it up. I mean, ultimately is this, it's Biden's decision to run again and he's still a candidate. And so he needs to be judged based on this. And also... I mean, the point about the barbarians at the gate, I mean, it really goes down to the fears that I hear from people inside D.C. and outside. I mean, if every if Donald Trump is an existential threat, then why don't we have our best running? Why don't we have someone who's blowing him out of the water running? And yet having and I hear you and having said all of that, 
we literally just had a Democratic primary in South Carolina, and Joe Biden won by more than 95 points over a candidate, my colleague and Dean Phillips, who was making largely the same exact points that you were making. So it's not a case of the party kind of uh, okay, first of all, putting Biden Dean Phillips in. has no name ID. He did not he, have he a Democratic has, wait, he, he had a super PAC supporting him and, ha- and had a lot of advertising on the air in New Hampshire, as well as South Carolina. He has, And he also has some personal wealth. Uh, so, and Dean, look, I've served with him. He's a smart guy. He's a substantive person. He has been making exactly the same points he just said and has come nowhere close. I mean, and, and I, I feel bad pointing this out because I happen to like Dean personally, but he didn't even make 2% in South Carolina while Biden was getting over 95%. But they so changed I, the calendar for Joe Biden so that oh, the that primary started in South that, Carolina. But they that, did. So the DNC changed the calendar yeah, the, the so that DNC, he had an advantage. But wait a minute. So that it started that in South Carolina. It was that, state mean, that he was going to win. That doesn't mean he had an advantage in the South Carolina electorate. It came Dean three Phillips weeks. spent it came no three time. Weeks, it came three weeks earlier. So, but I he mean, spent no time in South Carolina. L- listen, I don't want to spend time in New Hampshire and also got his butt whooped there too. So ex- he did fair enough. But like, this is also these you're, you're comparing to someone who has there, there was no real primary. They didn't even accept the New Hampshire delegates. There was no, you know, there was no shot. I don't know why he spent all of his time there. I don't think that Dean Phillips was a serious candidate. I think if there was a real primary, then this would be a totally different story. But you've got the president of the United States with the entire Democratic apparatus behind him. And then, and then they decided to start to change the calendar to start at a state that he did well, the state that actually kicked off his, you know, 2020 campaign. And of course he's going to win it. He's got James Clyburn behind him, who's a mover and shaker there. And yeah, sure, 95%. I don't know. I just still, I think that John Stewart gave people permission to talk about it. In a way that even more, okay, I, even I'll, more so than the her report, because you can be like, oh, hers a her is some sort of like MAGA hack, which, which I don't actually think. I'll say this: before the her report, before John Stewart on, on the Daily Show, people, plenty of people in the media were talking about Biden's age. It was. An issue last but politely, week. It'll be an no issue. No one was like, he's oh, selfish. I don't, you know, for for running. People were bringing up the age issue, but in the end, I firmly believe this is going to be an issue that both candidates are going to have to overcome. And for Joe Biden, I do think it is overcomable. You know, he has a great line, which I've often uh, quoted for myself just don't compare me to the Almighty, compare me to the alternative. That has been very effective for Joe Biden against Donald Trump. And I think it will be again in 2024. So basically saying, don't make this a referendum on me. Make this a choice. Um, we'll see how it works out. It's just, I think that Democrats are terrified right now when they see the polling um, and they see a candidate that will be 86, you know, by the end of his term. So Versus a candidate who will be 83 by the end of his term. So there, uh, that's where it goes back to a choice. Yeah, it does go back to a choice. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's the the beginning of Biden's term is 82. Listen, I'm not going to talk about who's older or not because Trump is a, a whole nother level. You're right. It is a choice between old and crazy. Do you know what I mean? I do think that there's... Um, I do think you're right. 
And I think that all the people who decide to vote for third party candidates, et cetera, like they're just giving a vote to Trump essentially, right? Yeah, um, I, I, de facto, there's no question about that. By the way, Tara, let's look on the bright side of this new reality okay. where two 80 <laughs> year olds can run for president. That means I have until 2060 to keep my <laughs> presidential hopes alive. So, you know, I've been in Congress 10 years. Brendan Next Boyle term, for president. 2060. Starting now. The voice of the 60s. Well, it's too the late. voice of the 60s, 2060s. Uh, that'll, be the, uh, <laughs> that'll be the slogan. So uh, maybe well, I'll Well, you know what? It's crazy because Biden has been running since basically he was your age, right? Uh, let's see. Well, I just turned 47 and I've been in Congress 10 years. Hopefully we'll be chairman of the budget committee next term. Um, which would make me That's the young. Big. All of this talk, talk about older age, I would be the youngest committee chair. Uh, on Capitol Hill since Paul Ryan, if if we win the majority in November. So I'd be excited about that. Um, and then for Biden, he was elected even younger. He was elected 30. So he's elected even uh, seven years uh, younger uh, younger than I am. So it is... You could be elected. You, when, do, when can you be elected to Congress or Senate? How old do you have to be? So 25 for House, 30 for Senate, 35 for, for President. Okay. In the Got Constitution. It. Yeah. Great. Just, I'm ready for presidency after the show. <laughs> Some, I will give that'll if be that the happens, finale. Somebody's got to win. It's me. I'm hanging it up. Okay. In 2060, <laughs> if the dream happens, I will point back to this podcast 36 yeah. years earlier, and I'll say this is where it was launched. Well, let's start from the beginning of the show. We're going to point back to your prediction for Pennsylvania. I'm holding you to it. I, I firmly believe it. A narrow, close race. Biden wins. Casey wins. And Biden is narrowly uh, reelected in a country that will still continue to be um, fairly evenly divided. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Thanks so much for joining the show. This was fun. Um, I learned a lot, and uh, I'll be checking in with you on Pennsylvania. You're right. Biden is still beating Trump in the polls in Pennsylvania. It's the other states that that Trump is is ahead of him by, you know, five points in some of these states. I don't know. Well, I, I enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun and hold me to it. Whichever candidate okay. wins Pennsylvania wins the White House. That was another episode of Somebody's Gotta Win. I'm your host, Tara Palmieri. I want to thank my producers, Devin Baroldi and Connor Nevins. If you like this show, please share it with your friends. Please rate it and subscribe. If you like my reporting, please go to puck.news and sign up for my newsletter, The Best and the Brightest. You can use the discount code Tara20. I'll be back again next week.